Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Welcome, Calvary Chapel South Bay, and those of you that are watching online, uh, delighted to be with you tonight, a little special format. I want to introduce, sitting over here to my left, uh, dear friend, Pastor James McDonald. So uh, he's going to be joining me here on the couch as long as, uh, as long as we have tonight, so we'll probably be answering questions for an hour. So before we do that, I want to let you know what we're doing next Thursday night. As many of you know, you've probably looked ahead on your calendar, and it is our National Day of Prayer. And I don't know that there's a better time uh, than now to gather together to seek the face of the Lord for our nation, uh, especially for those that rule over us, that God has appointed as our leaders, as those that would uh, make these laws that we're under right now, those that are deciding whether we're going to be back to work in a week or back to work in a month or back to work. In some cases, people have been saying for a lot longer time than that. Uh, we have an opportunity to affect the outcome of those things that they're deciding, and we can do that through prayer. So next Thursday night, right here, we're going to have a number of pastors joining us. Uh, We'll take some topics. We're going to be praying for the COVID-19 situation itself. We're going to be praying for our state and local leaders, our schools, our children, uh, our church that's been separated now for six weeks and away from gathering together And so I want to encourage you, make sure you don't miss that. Uh, It is going to be a time for us to worship together and to pray together and and to seek the face of the Lord for our country. And and I believe uh, that as we do that, that we will have an impact uh, for the king and for the kingdom. And so join us next Thursday, same place, same time, and same web address. Amen. And so Pastor Alex has joined us here on the couch. Welcome, Pastor Alex. Uh, you can go ahead and put that uh, earpiece back on while you're doing that. That's a, yeah, that's a bizarre thing. I have to wear that one normally myself. Go, there you go. Our audio engineer and use the handheld. Yeah, well, you, it's hard to do a computer that way. So That's right. Uh, James, welcome. So great to have you. And we're excited for what the Lord's going to do tonight. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say something? No. Looking forward to it. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so guys, we're really excited. I don't know which camera I'm supposed to be looking at, but I'm just going to look at that one right there. <laughs> and uh, we're really excited about tonight. And you guys have you have sent in over 100 questions for us to answer. We will obviously not be able to answer all 100 questions, uh, 115 actually. So we categorize them into groups of similar topics. So hopefully we'll be able to hit most of those. But we also wanted to let you know if you're watching and you didn't submit a question, you can still do that by texting the number that hopefully will appear right below me right now. Uh, And so there's a phone number. We will be flashing that throughout the night and you can text those questions in. I will see them right here on the computer and we'll throw those into the mix as well. But in order to just get the night started, let's start with uh, something that came in previously. So this is a, a, we're going to keep the names off of these, by the way, so don't worry if they were personal questions, we won't say your name. Um, This is more of a lifestyle question. Uh, Either of you can answer it. Uh, The person asks, is hookah bad? Should a Christian not be doing hookah? Now, there might be some Christians who don't know what hookah is. So does everybody, do you want to just explain what it is and then answer? (laughs) Hookah. 
Uh, for those of you that don't know, that is an Arabic water pipe. Generally, actually, I use them in Turkey as well. Um, the big question for me on these types of things, and James, I, I would like to get your take on this as well. There are all kinds of things. Paul said this as he wrote to the Church of Corinth. There are things that are lawful, but all things don't edify. Uh, and, and so they don't build us up. And, and, and so whether you're talking about, and this is usually the question, is this sin? And that's a different question. But if you're asking, should a Christian be engaged in anything that could potentially damage their lungs, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I would say it's at least questionable, if not, you know, something that maybe we ought to really consider as potentially negative. James, thought? Yeah, but, no, I do agree with that. But I I think that, um, and I know that you're this way, this is one of the reasons I've been so blessed by you, we... You know, it says in uh, 2 Corinthians, I think, chapter 4, verse 6, do not exceed what is written. God's very happy with his word. It's got all the specifics it needs. And so it's so right for you to use a principle. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful to me, but not all things build me up. And so I would think less about condemning it, saying it's wrong, saying it's sin, um, you know, ice cream is bad for your body too, but I'm going to have some later tonight. I, I think that um, moderation, uh, care, I, I don't actually know this. You knew, I was really quite impressed with what you know about hookah pipes. I didn't know anything really about them. Are, don't are hold they, it against me. Are, yeah, are they, are they um, I, and, and hey, if you and Connie have the freedom in Christ, you know, I'm just kidding. Do you, do they have like a... Um, effect on your an brain? Effect. Are, yeah. they, are they inebriating? They can be. It really? depends on what you put in them. So, okay, so for even, instance, they're often a place where people would smoke opium. So I don't think we need to answer that particular question as to no. whether. No, and as I was going to say, Pastor, was I was just going to say, you know, we used to teach, and I would still teach, get all the crutches out of your house. We're supposed to depend upon the Lord. We're supposed to depend upon the Lord in each other. That's what the church is all about. And um, everything else is a crutch. And God doesn't want us to depend. God's in the process of knocking on. People say, well, God's a crutch. Yeah, he is. And he's knocking out all the other crutches so that we're just depending upon him. So anything that would fit into this category, if, if, if it's not leading us to greater dependence upon the Lord, then it'd be good to be moving away from that. Yeah. And the only little tidbit I would add is that the scriptures say that our bodies are a temple of the Lord. So why are you going to destroy the body that he indwells, you know? Yeah, and I think the the modern equivalent of that is vaping. It's basically the same thing. So you have, you know, you have vapor in there, and we know that that isn't good for you. Amen. All right, here's a question that came in from a text. Um, this is about somebody, uh, when a person passed away, a loved one. I don't want to get too deep into the question. It might cause a fight between the husband and wife. <laughs> but um, the one of them is saying that don't talk back on the passed away because uh, their soul might be around you're listening and they might smack you upside the head. Uh, do, I guess the question would be, do the souls of the deceased float around our globe and, you know, listen to our conversations? Well, it's appointed a man wants to die. So there's only one life. There's only one eternity. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5 that says, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So non-believers... Um, Jesus told the parable in Luke 19 of the rich man and Lazarus, and they went immediately uh, to a place in eternity. They were there uh, perpetually. Um, so um, I think the answer is, yeah, no. No, they don't. Cool. Good? Amen. Amen. Uh, here's a person struggling with shame and guilt from past sins. Their question is, how do I deal with this shame and guilt? 
How'd you guys counsel this person? Wow. That, that's probably a question that I think most every believer that's ever walked face the earth with has dealt with at some point in time. Uh, we've been freed from that shame and we've been freed from that guilt. Uh, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul writes there as it begins uh, Romans chapter 8. And, and so uh, as, we, as we think on who we are, we are now a new creation in Christ. Behold, the old things are, are passing away, present tense active. In other words, God's in the process of kind of renewing our mind or making it new constantly. And so shame and guilt from past sins, First uh, John 1, 9 reminds us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just first to forgive, and that's the important part. You need that taken care of for eternity, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that means to take that sin that used to keep us in bondage and to deal with its effects, its aftermath. And so I believe that one of the beautiful things that happens as we're sanctified, made more like the Lord, is we're actually cleaned up. The enemy is the one that wants to have you hang on to that guilt and hang on to that shame and carry it around with you forever. That's certainly not from the Lord. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, just so our online audience knows, um, God has been using our online uh, streaming to reach many thousands of people all over the world. And people are actually getting saved. We heard yes, uh, from last Sunday that a man in New York, he Facebook chatted us asking, you know, to be saved. So if you're watching, man, we're so excited uh, that you are part of the family of God now. Another person is also asking in a question through a text message saying, how do I start developing a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, there's so much to our walk with the Lord, right? And um, uh, God has given us particular uh, things. Um, uh, First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, or is it Second Peter 2, 2? Um, it says, as newborn babes uh, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. And so as uh, milk is to an infant, uh, you know, a baby, a human baby, so God's word is to a baby Christian. And, you know, you can't just jump into the Bible anymore. You can jump into a physics textbook. You got to kind of start at the right place. But in the Bible, the right place isn't necessarily the first book, Genesis. If a person's a new believer, they should read through the Gospel of John and underline the word believe every place they see it. They should read through 1 John, where John actually writes and says, these things I've written to those of you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know you have eternal life. And first steps spiritually are steps of assurance of salvation, which is really similar, Pastor, to what you were talking about earlier when um, the lady was trying to get free from the sins of the past. And see, there's those old voices. There's the old voice of my flesh. There's the old voice of the enemy. And growing in Christ is getting free from those voices and having my mind renewed by the word of God so that I'm living in what's true. And I think a good little model for discipleship is we're, we're, we're naming the lies. They got to go. And, you know, I'm still in my past. I'm still in my sin. I still feel shame about what I did. But that's not what God's word says. And so getting out of my old way of thinking and into my new way of thinking, having my mind renewed by the word of God is a big, 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 of course, get involved with the local church and get, get around some other Christians. These are some of the first steps we take in Christ. That's awesome. All right. I am a new Christian, another new Christian, um, but he's struggling. I find it hard not to commit adultery. There are women everywhere you go with short skirts and dress with open tops and TV and radio is all about sex all the time. Um, how can I be a Christian really with 
uh, you know, my mind filled with lust and adultery? Yeah, what a great question. And, and for you, if you're watching right now, the Lord absolutely can give you victory over this. This is part of the process that we call sanctification. As new believers, we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ first. There's a personal relationship. I have believed on the only begotten Son of God. Uh, I've committed my life to Christ. The Holy Spirit has now uh, given me to, to indwell me. And so the Holy Spirit begins that work. But it's not an instantaneous work. You don't automatically become a mature believer. Uh, as Pastor James was saying, you, you become a baby Christian or a new believer, we would say. And, and you begin this journey that we call sanctification. And it's a, it's a long word. It's a big word. But it's a simple word. It just simply to be, means to become more like Christ or more God-like, more saint-like, more, more like God than you were when you first came to know the Lord. And so as that happens, the necessity for that growth to be as impactful as it possibly can is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the work of the Holy Spirit is then going to kick in, going to give you first minute victories over those things and then greater victories over those things and then finally complete and total victory over those things. But David said this, he said, I will make a covenant with my eyes for you, O Lord, so that I will not look upon a maid. You have to practice the principles of living a holy life. If you continue to go places, if you continue to do things, if you continue to practice sin, uh, then, then you fall in that category that Paul had to deal with as he talked to the church at Rome. Uh, we, we can't continue in sin and say that we're walking with the Lord. So you have to flee those things that are sinful, and you have to cling to those things which are godly. And I think uh, really important to that is where your mind goes, what you fill your heart with. We use in computer terminology, we use the term gigo, garbage in, garbage out. Same is true spiritually. What you put in, faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as you put the word of God in, you're fleshing out all that old stuff. Edward, I think that was a phenomenal answer. And I'm just convicted and being reminded that we're all, you know, seeking to live in victory before the Lord. I would just say that, you know, this idea that the guy who wrote this question, God bless, he, he believes things that are not true. So he sees himself as missing out on something that would make him happy in order to give himself to something that he's not believing that could make him more joyful and more happy. And that's a lie. That's the enemy. The enemy gains ground through lies. So what he's got to come to is this very thing that you talk about, about multiple adulteries and multiple relationships. Going, But you know how restless and miserable that's made you. And you know how long you've suffered the guilt and the pain and the defrauding and the you, there's all the shame that would go with it too. And it just reminds us of the addiction that every person's battling, their tendencies towards sin. And um, it's just a matter of, you know, see that for what it really is. Temptation is a trick. It's telling you that it's something that isn't, just like we catch a fish with a piece of bait. And so I, I am not, I'm sure you're not, I'm not even mildly concerned that if he were to turn from that and give himself to what Pastor Jeff just said, that he would miss out, that he would come up short. I think he'd find a joy he's never known before. I think he'd find a freedom and a delight in things that are deeper and more lasting and more meaningful. And that sort of rush to the lust fulfillment thing, that's not really, it's not much of a life. Yeah, and, you know, Paul tells, I think, Timothy to flee youthful lusts. And there's a part of us that has to flee. We have to flee those things. We have to cut those things out of our lives. And I've always 
thought about it as like a monster. If you feed the monster, it grows. But if you starve the monster, it shrivels up and pretty soon it loses its power. So start cutting that stuff out of your mind, out of the songs you listen to, out of the things you watch on TV. Cut out as much as possible and don't expose yourself to it. Don't feed the monster so that it gets weaker and shriveled up and you can kick it into the corner. But what to put in its place, Alex? So there's the don't, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the don't? What's the do? The do is whatever is good and lovely and noble think on these things and be in the word and be in church and Christian godly music and things yeah, like that. Yeah, be doing like what you're doing right now, tuning into these crazy pastors answering questions from the Bible. Like <laughs> give your thought and mind to things that are going to have an impact on you. The guy's already doing the right thing. He's already doing the right thing writing in his question. Amen. And just be confident. God began this work in you. He's going to finish it. Yeah, that's good. A um, couple questions about the Antichrist. First one, uh, I might answer it for you guys, but... Uh, is there any possibility that the Antichrist is a woman? No, she's not your wife, okay, if that's what you're asking. Um, oh just kidding, God. I'm kidding. If you, anyway. Um, oh, they've been indoors together. This shelter-in-place thing has drawn up a <laughs> lot of new questions. Right, right. Uh, do you want to answer that, though, quickly? You did. No. Yes, he's, it's always a man in the Scripture um, that talks about him. It's called so, the man of lawlessness. Yeah. Right, not the woman. And the man of sin, so it always... It'd be super confusing if the Lord was like, yeah, but it's actually a woman. Right. A couple questions, though, also about like the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. Um, Somebody's asking if the mandatory coronavirus vaccine or this Bill Gates quantum dot tattoo vaccine, which I've never heard about, are the mark of the beast. What would you say to these people? The, the, the problem that we've had with all these types of things, if you go back uh, maybe a decade or so, ADSX was making a chip that everybody was concerned that you're going to have injected in the back of your hand and you know, it's going to have all this information. You'll be able to be scanned. The problem is you're going to know that it is the mark of the beast. It absolutely will be taken with your volition. It will not be forced on you. It'll be something you will choose to do for you. Like wake up one morning after a crazy Saturday night, like, dang it, what was I thinking? I have the mark of the beast. No, you're going to know. So it is not going to be forced upon you. You'll take it willingly. Awesome. It's good to know. Can't mess that one up. Um, Somebody's asking, when we die, will we go straight to heaven or is there some kind of waiting period? I think we just referenced that briefly at the uh, outset, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. There's no soul sleep. There's no in-between. There's no, in fact, in eternity, time itself, I believe, is greatly altered. But um, yeah, so no, the scripture teaches that you get one chance called life. You get one accountability before God, and then there's heaven or hell um, based upon what have you done with Jesus Christ. And that is immediate and final and serious as a heart attack, so... It's immutable, so there, there is, there is no uh, changing your mind afterwards. There's no your parents praying you out of some uh, imaginary place that might be an inter- intermediary, you know, dwelling place for souls. There's no, as James said, no soul sleep. Um, all of those things have been fabricated by man, in essence, to deal generally with grief. Uh, it's like you know, my, I didn't see any evidence that that person knew the Lord, and so we'll send him to some place. Uh, that they can hang out for a few thousand years till they get it right. That just simply isn't taught in Scripture. Awesome. Uh, another text question that just came in. I know the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked or being equally yoked. What if I'm a Christian dating someone who hasn't yet given their life to the Lord, but is willing and has been trying to know about missionary Jesus? dating? Missionary dating. 
or 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 a he's waiting to be saved or she's waiting to be saved or you know this is an almost you know the bible's pretty specific in this in this area not to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever for what has light to do with darkness or Christ with Belial now again this would be an interesting uh study to look at as far as the actual very specific question you're asking but the question you really have to ask yourself is why is this person that you're dating not yet a believer and what's the holdback? Uh, if you've made your position in Christ clear and they're still uh, unwilling to, to say, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe that might be the reason uh, that I should consider this Jesus that you follow, if that's not enough to push them over the edge, then you probably have somebody that is not really listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit right now. And I would be very, very, very careful because you can get you can get caught into a relationship before that happens. Bad things happen in that environment. And I would just simply say it's not wise. I think that kind of covers it. But I would just say that the problem isn't the unbeliever. The problem is the believer. The believer is setting their sights on, I want to be with a person more than I want to, you know, they're wrestling with it themselves. And I think that that's an idolatry and God bears no rivals. So, I mean, I've seen occasionally God will show grace and somebody will have a story about how that worked out for them, but that's not supposed to cause us to pursue that. And I think the believer needs to be like, well, what really, that's all I want? I want them just to clear like three feet mark. They're just like, just, just barely in the family. That's your dream for a lifetime partner. Somebody who possibly, potentially kind of knows the Lord, that's it, and run to the front of the church. You should set your sights higher because marriage is difficult and it lasts for a lifetime. That's God's design. I think you should be praying for and dreaming about a person who loves Jesus with their whole heart, who can lead you further into the Lord and then believing God that he'll give that to you in his time. Amen. Preach it. Here's another relational question. Uh, Hello, pastors. I would like to know, is there, this came from text, is there a way to get married under God, honored by God without going through the state? For example, before there were such a thing as marriage certificates, like in the ancient Israelite days. Uh, of course, you know the the Lord. The Lord is the one to whom you make your vows, and so in that sense, marriage is the first institution of human government, and so it actually supersedes man's government. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the the first city was the city of Adam and Eve. Uh, the first inhabitants of that city were their sons Cain and Abel, as far as the Bible is specific. Um, and so in the eyes of the Lord, of course, you can be married. Now, the question that you're actually asking is, does that then provide the backdrop for a legal marriage before the state for dissolution of property and those types of things? And the answer to that is, uh, in Romans 13, we've been called to obey the, the government that God has established over us. And so uh, the reason that we do those legal things is, is so that you can get health insurance and so that you can uh, have property that's in both of your names. But as far as your marriage vows, those are taken before the Lord. Awesome. I, I got a lot out of that. I don't think I've ever thought about that thing about Genesis and it predating. I think that's a great answer. Awesome. A um, couple questions about anxiety, depression, suicide. Somebody texted in, uh, I'm, how do I deal with stress? We have another question. Is it wrong to think about suicide? What are the Bible verses that would help me with suicidal thoughts? And then another question, is it okay to take antidepressants, I'm sorry, antidepressants or other medication like it? Does it mean I'm not a true believer if I do take them? 
Well, I think the subject of uh, mental health uh, is something that I think the over the course of my life in ministry, I think that um, uh, Christians need to continue to think about this. I think that um, studies are indicating uh, that um, your brain is like another muscle. And it's people that have PTSD, people that have been through great stress, they're bruised. And I think there's too much guilt and stigma associated with medication. If a person, if you're having suicidal thoughts, if you're, you, know, you should call a doctor and you should get whatever help you need to get through this season. You should not let any Christian make you feel guilty about that. But I think we'd all agree that medication is really treating the symptoms, the fruit problem and not the root problem. And sometimes it's hard to get to the root problem when your mind is racing and you can't sleep and you start to feel desperate. I would just say to anyone who's listening right now that if you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, someone wrote this question, it's what they're feeling. Um, it isn't wrong to have those thoughts. I doubt if there's a person on this stage that hasn't, in a desperate moment, had a desperate thought. But if those thoughts are lingering and you can't get them out of your mind, you need to call somebody before you go to sleep tonight and you need to confide to them what you're struggling. So Satan, this is how he works. Disguise, divide, destroy. Disguise, he makes you think that things are a lot bigger than they are. Then he separates you from other people and he isolates you and then he tries to destroy you. And I was talking to a counselor that I actually talked to on the phone the other day and he said there'll be, through this COVID thing, he said there'll be more babies born in nine months There'll be more suicides. There'll be more marriages ended. This is exposing, this isn't creating problems as much as it's exposing the conditions of our heart. And I would just say, if you need help, get it. There's no stigma to it. And we all go through very desperate times in our lives. And I would just plead with that person to get the help they need. Yeah, I, w- I would uh, echo those sentiments. And I would, add, I would add this. There are two cases, one in the old, one in the new, that you can point yourself to. In 1 Kings 19, you have the case of Elijah who despaired of life. The apostle Paul himself despaired of life. And, and so when you, when you look at that thought of desperation, this is nothing new and it's not new to the Bible. Um, but we are finding out some new science that helps us understand right. when scripture declares that we are three parts. We are a soul we are a spirit, so we have a mind, that's your consciousness, your thought, those types of things. Your spirit, which is where we connect with God, and your body. Um, your, your body is supposed to be governed by your spirit, which would then control your emotions. Um, but we have a computer that runs this whole show that's made out of flesh, and that flesh is fallen flesh. So your, your mind is still able to be affected um, by the world around us, by the devil, uh, we, we still have this thing to deal with. That, that's why this, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so in the weakness of who we are, um, both as, as humankind, just our, our general makeup and consistency, but also in the sense that we have emotions, which can be toyed with by the enemy, uh, can be messed with by other people, those types of things. We, we have to be really careful. I think the church has done, uh, over the last probably 20 years, a great deal of disservice to an awful lot of people by telling them that if they're on medication, that they're in sin or that they don't have enough faith or those types of things. Um, We have some very, very dear people in this church who are involved in mental health. And I can tell you they love the Lord and they prescribe medications very sparingly and only when it's essential to make sure that someone is well cared for and able to get better 
Um, we would not tell someone who has a heart problem, well, don't take heart medication because you don't have enough faith. We wouldn't tell someone with diabetes, well, well, don't, you know, take insulin to balance out your sugar levels because you're not trusting God. And we really have to be very careful to not tell people to, to do something about the chemicals that we know exist in our minds uh, that govern emotions and cause us to have feelings of well-being or dread and all those kinds of things. So uh, I would encourage you to get the help that you need and don't be afraid uh, to listen to doctors that will help with your mind just as much as they would with your heart. Well, praise the Lord. We never discussed that. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm only circling back to punctuate that what he just said was so wise and so seasoned and so reasonable. And um, yeah, I just pray that that really lifts and comforts someone who's just caught up with some false guilt. Just get the help that you need and get forward with your life. The darkest times do yield, and actually the, the joy comes in the morning, but right after sometimes the darkest times, there is hope ahead for you, and and there are better days ahead for you, and, uh, you know, come be part of the life of this church, and uh, let us support and surround you. Awesome. Um, you had mentioned that the enemy can attack our minds. Somebody had written in earlier about that same question. They, they asked pretty much summarizing, I know the enemy can, you know, tempt us or give us evil thoughts, but can the enemy or demons possess a believer? <laughs> sure. I, I, I don't know if we're going to see this one the same at all. Um, I, I'm going to tell you the, the whole, it's okay if we even don't see the same because we're, we're all trying just to be faithful to God's word. But I could just tell you that the language of, um, it's a spatial argument. And I don't think that we rightly understand space in the Bible. So when um, uh, we say that the Holy Spirit is in you, well, like, I mean, in me? Like, in me, in me? Like, inside my ribcage? Like, in where? In. It's, a, it's language of control. With God, distance makes no difference. God is not more able to influence you because he's closer. All of the inside, outside, upside, downside language in the Bible is language of control. The issue of the Holy Spirit is, is he controlling me? And Romans chapter 6 says to believers, to whom you yield yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And I think that... Um, the issue is not, can a demon possess a person? The, the question is, can a demon control a Christian against their will? And the answer is absolutely not. Greater is he who is in you, there's that control language, than he who is in the world. And the Holy Spirit and the changed life in Christ and the power of God's word, these are more than adequate. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Jesus spoke the word of God himself and the enemy um, was defeated and fled from him. It is written, it is written, it is written. We are not weak. We are not without resource. The word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is more than enough to defeat the enemy. So no Christian is possessed, that's that inside language, against their will, all right? When you see stories in the scripture of people that are possessed, they're not believers. And we don't need to be fearful that the enemy can control the life of a believer, but you can give him ground, you can give him influence. And um, pastor, how would you add to that? Yeah, that's a that's a great answer. The other the other thing that you have to to bear in mind as well, when you think about possess versus oppress, one is external, one is internal. So again, it's just a spatial relationship. What it actually indicates again is control. And the other thing is is that you would you would probably look at this in its most finite state 
is the abiding. The Holy Spirit abides in us. In other words, takes up its residence and dwells. And so that is as close as somebody can get. So I happen to live with my bride, Connie. Uh, Nobody else lives in our house. And so what Pastor James was saying is very applicable. Other people don't dwell there. They can come there. They can knock on the door. They can come in and stay for a while, but they don't live there. And, and so demonic oppression would be something from the outside to where somebody would be an unwelcomed guest, someone that has not been invited to live in your home, uh, that now attacks your mind or, you know, does some form of nefarious demonic activity. Um, but they're an uninvited guest and they can be kicked out because the people who actually live there, the other person happens to live there with us in our home is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And so the Holy Spirit is far greater uh, than the demonic activity. And so that, that would be a losing proposition for the demonic forces. It's such a good subject, isn't it? And, and, and um, if the Holy Spirit is not controlling us, not filling us, not, well, then we know Ephesians chapter four, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. That's lupeo, the, the, it's, it's one of the strongest words in the New Testament for this feeling of grief. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, right? And then quench not the Holy Spirit. And we like to think of quenching as I'm not doing things the Spirit wants me to do and grieving, I'm doing things the Spirit doesn't want me to do. And when we grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit, we quiet his voice and influence in our life and we're yielding control at that point to the enemy. And so, you know, Confess your sins, be cleansed and forgiven, and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and control you again. And as a believer, you can be confident that that's happening, right? Awesome. Yeah, and the other thing you, you can also add into that is, is that the Holy Spirit being God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Uh, Satan himself is none of those things. Right, so and, and so there, there's no possibility that you have, you know, equal and opposite forces here that push against each other. You have the loser and you have the winner. So we're on the winning side. Amen. You guys ready to talk about sex? Oh yeah. Are you guys ready to talk about sex? All right. So uh, someone's asking, someone's asking um, where in the Bible does it say that you can't have sex before you're married? Um, Everywhere. Literally everywhere. But I'll just, you want to give like one each? I mean, you know, this would be a good time for that sort of open the Bible and put your finger down. But um, fornication is um, uh, premarital relations. Adultery is relationships involving one person who's married. The first verse that I thought of is Romans chapter, or pardon me, Revelation uh, chapter uh, 21 is talking about new heaven and the new earth. And it says um, who's going to be there, what it's going to be like. The Alpha and Omega got to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Incredible. What heaven's going to be like is mind-boggling. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this is not that if these things have happened in your life, God can forgive you, but if these things are the unbroken characteristic of your life, then you must not be in Christ. And uh, there it is, sexually immoral is right on the list of yeah, um, not heaven. Yeah, and, and I, would, I would add a very simple tag onto that. When scripture talks about sexuality, period, it's always in the context of the participants. 
So if you're, if you're talking about fornication, that's two people who are not married to one another. If you're talking about homosexuality, that's two people who are of the same gender instead of male and female heterosexuality. Uh, if you're talking about uh, sex outside of marriage, you're married and you have sex, that's called adultery. But it's all the same word. So as you, as you look in Scripture, in essence, you're, you're looking at sexual activity. Um, I, I use the phrase, uh, no ring, no thing. Uh, if, if, there, if there isn't a marriage covenant taken before God, uh, then all sexual, act, sexual activity is, is then damaging, dangerous, and deadly. And so be very, very, very careful about your justification because people say, well, I'm in love with him and we're going to get married, or I'm in love with her and we're going to get married. So God sees, no, God actually is very explicitly, and I would encourage you to read Romans chapter one. That's probably the more powerful passage. And there's an interesting thing at the end of Romans chapter one in verse 32, it goes on to address something that is really hard to get around. And and, and I'll read it to you because it says, speaking of these things and lists all these sins separated by commas and said, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those that practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So it takes it another step. It says there's an additional issue. When your thinking is towards doing things that God says you shouldn't do, then God says that puts you akin to an unbeliever. So you're having thought processes that are indicative of someone who does not know the Lord. And so when you start approving of that, in other words, you're, you're one of those people, and I'm just going to pick on you a little bit. You, you think The Bachelor or The Bachelorette's really a great show. You're literally watching someone practice fornication, and you're paying their salary by watching that TV show. The same thing is true when you watch everything from porn to explicit movies that are R-rated. You're actually providing income for people to make stuff that destroys marriages, tears apart relationships, and and is rotting the soul of this country. Mm, That's powerful. Yeah, and I think like Pastor James alluded to earlier, like God wants to bless us. He is for us and he has good things for us. He's not withholding anything from us. He's protecting us. And that's why he doesn't want us to sleep around before we're married. He wants to bless you and he wants, and he knows how to bless you. And that's in the context of marriage. So he's not a, you know, stingy old miser. He's a good and generous God. And so, and with that. So um, one more question about sexuality. I'm sure there will be many more to come in now, but um, can somebody be born a homosexual some make the argument that it's akin to being born with Down syndrome, like something went wrong or abnormal, abnormal with the chromosomes. This is an age-old argument. It has almost zero scientific support. In fact, the scientific support is massively in the category of it as an impossibility. Uh, there's a study of homosexual men uh, that was done about nine or ten years ago uh, involving sets of twins who should have very close to the same genetic makeup, uh, one being homosexual and one not being homosexual. And what they found was, in essence, that there was no genetic marker for the homosexuality, but what they found was there were conditions that existed in the family, in the home, in the life that exposed people to those thoughts, and then those thoughts... Uh, like all thoughts, that's, that's the same way that one could have a propensity towards drugs or a propensity towards alcohol or a propensity towards lying or thievery or anything else. 
and I know I'm going to get some blowback from this, um, but the fact of the matter is there is no gay gene. You can do a simple internet search and look at real science. You're going to find out that scientifically there has been no definitive proof that there's any such thing as someone who was born uh, as a homosexual. Do you want to add to that? Uh, only if you want to. Well, I would just say that um, I agree with what the pastor said, what Pastor Jeff said. It's, um, if I could just go at it from a different side of it. So um, is there predisposition to sin? There is predisposition to sin, and the Bible says that um, God is a, a holy God, and that he visits the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation, and this is something we should all take very seriously, and people are born with predispositions to alcohol, predispositions to uh, immorality, predispositions to homosexuality. Further, I did my doctoral uh, research on increasing the incidence of self-disclosure of sin among men, and I can tell you I have had to go further uh, into men's sin than most people have in their study, and a big, big, big driving force, two of them actually, behind um, homosexuality and that being a significant temptation in your life is, um, number one, there's frequently abuse that's involved in a person at a very young age, and then secondly, there is um, the absence of father love, and that's what really breaks my heart because men who are caught in that lifestyle um, are actually what they're seeking is righteous. The desire for men, I mean, this is America's the only country practically on the face of the earth where men don't greet one another with a hug and a kiss on the cheek. We are so homophobic, so stifled, so it isn't wrong for men to have close personal relationships. But just like a lot of things, homosexuality is a righteous desire, unrighteously fulfilled. And the church needs to grow in its ability to show um, compassion and care. And and yet at the same time, people say, well, but is it like all other sins? Well, it is like all other sins in that any sin can keep you from God. All of us need our sins brought under the uh, forgiveness of God in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But it is like it, but it isn't because some sins are like you were talking about fornication. Fornication is wrong uh, act, wrong time, maybe wrong person. Adultery is like wrong person, but it's still the right act. In homosexuality, you have wrong person, wrong time, wrong act. It's against uh, God's design. And because it's against God's design, it's more addictive. It's, and this is why we see, you don't see anybody out marching in the materialism parade. You don't see anybody marching in the uh, alcohol, you know, let's all smoke pot parade. There may be a little bit of that now. Why are there gay pride parades? Because there's so much shame and so much addiction associated with this level of uh, debauchery and against God's plan that people feel like they can't get out of it and they have to force on everyone else um, an acceptance of it because they're trying to find peace. But listen, listen, Jesus Christ has made peace through the blood of his cross. And we can find grace, we can find forgiveness, we can find strength, we can find healing in the gospel. And I just, if someone's listening and this is the sin that you struggle with, you should know this is a place where you're gonna be loved and you're gonna be embraced and you're gonna be helped to find the victory that we are all seeking to find in Christ. There's no judgment of you, just a desire to help you walk as God has uh, commanded all of us to. Yeah, strangely, we were talking about this earlier earlier today. You know, there's a, there's a difference in, in just a, a very slight twist in almost all things when you look at sin in general, that 
any sin would keep you from heaven, but all sin can be forgiven. So it, it, it's not a matter of, well, homosexuality is a, you know, it's a 27.35 and, you know, lying is a 2.2 or whatever. There, no, no there, scoring there's system. no scoring system on these things. And what we've done, unfortunately, as a society is we've taken and, and made people feel as though if you're engaged in this, well, that's so far out on the, on the fringes of forgiveness that you're never going to find God out there. And then you, you take the person who's habitually bitter or the person that's habitually angry or the person who habitually can't tell the truth and, and you make those acceptable sins. You know, it's just like, well, we can't get mad at everybody who's bitter or, or my favorite one to pick on, gluttony. Uh, gluttony's a sin. And, and so if you look at... And, and gossip. And gossip, yeah. Gossip, slander, malice. You know, there are so many things that when you look at these lists that are found in uh, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Galatians 5, they're all just separated by commas. You know, so it's, so it's not like God said, well, this one is a whole bunch worse than that one. It's just saying these things are all sin. And so homosexuality goes in that category. It's sin. It can be forgiven. It can be overcome. You can be redeemed. You, God loves you. If you're struggling right now, let me say to you right now, God loves you. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction, if you're engaged in a homosexual relationship, God wants to change your heart so that you see that correctly. Right now, the enemy has deceived you to where you see this as your, as your life. And God is speaking to you right now and wants to, wants to help you overcome things that will ultimately harm you. And the massive amount of data that we have now in studying these things leads us to know that God's word is true and every man's a liar. And so when we do what God's word says, we live the way God wants us to live. We have, we have what God wants us to have. Mm. There's a, there are a few people who are struggling right now with feeling unworthy and being you know, judged by God and wondering if they're even saved. One woman asks if, you know, she cusses and struggles with cussing from time to time, you know, is God going to let me into heaven? Another person um, asks, what if I have doubts? Can I lose my salvation if I start to doubt? Another person simply just asks, um, can I lose my salvation? So how would you answer all those things, people struggling with sin? I'll start it, but this would be a great one that we could tag team on. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 7 gives us this beautiful picture of, you know, this man that struggled with sin, that, that admitted those things which he willed to do, he didn't do, and the things that he willed not to do, those very things he did. And that was as someone to whom we could look at his his totality of his authorship of the New Testament and say, mm, yeah, there's a pretty good solid third right there. Uh, it was written by this one guy. Um, all of the main doctrines of faith are understood through the writings of the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul struggled calling himself ultimately the chief of sinners. And so the question is not whether we sin. The question is whether we're in Christ and we actually care about whether we sin or not. And the fact that you are all asking these questions tells me that you care that you're engaged in those things, which is a evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because you're struggling with them. If you weren't struggling, uh, if you just were immersed in them and didn't care, then I would be concerned. Yeah, I really agree with that, Pastor. And I think that, um, first of all, the fact whoever's asking this question, the fact that you care is a really good sign. 
So I'm just going to say that the person who you can't lose your salvation, Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. When Jesus gives the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And when you've received the gift of your salvation, Jesus says, um, and he says, no man can pluck them out of my hand. My father, who is greater than all, has given them to me, and no one can pluck them out of my father's hand. So if you've turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ by faith, he describes you as in his hand and he himself in his father's hand. So you can't lose your salvation, but the fact that you're wrestling with whether you have it or not is actually a really good thing. Uh, Philippians chapter two says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, um, uh, Paul said in Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. So I remember when I was a kid, Pastor, I don't know how you relate to this, Jeff, but when I was a kid, um, I, I can remember a couple times going forward in church. And, and but, you know, my dad said, well, you already gave your life to Christ, but I was struggling with assurance. The problem is, is when people are struggling with assurance, we tend to give them eternal security verses. Yeah. So in other words, like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Well, God keeps his own. But the question that I need to answer for my eternal security is not God keep his own, but am I one of his own? And so in the same passage in John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So what are the real assurances of salvation? Hearing his voice and then ongoing follow, following him. A persevering faith and enduring faith and the fruit that that produces. That's the assurance of salvation. If you don't care anymore, if you don't pick up your Bible anymore, if you don't want to go to church anymore, eh, I, maybe you're not Christian. Maybe it's just a little phase you're going through. But if you're continuing on and you're wrestling with these things and you're seeking to be in a place of assurance before the Lord, last verse, Romans 8 says is, um, that uh, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And I would tell people, tell me what you think of this. I'd tell people, pray every day for 30 days, read your Bible, read a chapter in the Gospels and, and pray, God, am I one of your children? God, am I one of your children? Holy Spirit, confirm to me, am I really one of your children? If you seek the Lord earnestly for that confirmation by his spirit, I believe he'll give it to you. Uh, stellar. You know, it, I remember a very similar experience. You know, it's just like, I, I would I would like consider myself one of those people who I would have thought then that I was getting saved again. Uh, but it, it was that was not a salvation experience. It was a confirmation of what had already transpired. We, we have to remember that a that your salvation is a transaction that's received uh, by your faith, resulting in the grace that God gives you to be saved and the forgiveness of your sin. It's on God's part. This is a work that God did for you. It's a gift. Ephesians two eight nine is it, it, this is not this is not you. You didn't save yourself. And because you didn't save yourself, you you also can't keep yourself. Amen? So it's not about what you do or how you express yourself. Now, the child of God is going to hate sin. The child of God is going to flee sin. The child of God is going to think rightly about sin. Uh, the child is also the child of God is also going to think rightly about righteousness. The problem is don't concern yourself so much with the perfection, but do I actually concern myself with the right things? A lot of people look at it, well, I'm not perfectly sinless. Well, I'm not perfectly sinless either. Uh, none of us sitting here are. But what I am is very concerned that I'm becoming more so. In other words, my life is in transition in that process of sanctification. I'm becoming more like Christ, therefore less sinful and more 
uh, more in the, the state that God would, would say is sinless. So tell me if you relate to this, because we were talking a little bit about repentance too. And I've noticed in my Christian life, and I, I just say this, you know, as a true confession, when I was a young Christian, I always thought, well, you know, I'll get to the place where I don't struggle with that anymore. Well, I'll get to the place where that'll never be an issue in my life again, never again. And certainly that was true of some things. But other things I have found that the only real victory I've seen in, in certain areas is that the interval of time between failure gets longer, mm-hmm. noticeably longer, and then even more so the quickness to acknowledge that was wrong. The, the, you know, the younger rationalizations and explaining it away, and this is the way I am, and you know, people are going to have to deal with this, but, but really just the brokenheartedness of why, you know, the older you get, don't you get a little more tired of yourself? Yes. Just tired of my patterns of sin, tired of my struggles. And I praise God for uh, a growing, lengthening of the interval between struggling with particular sins and for the, just the quickness to own it, confess it and forsake it and, and, and living in victory. Yeah, I, I I think that's what the writer of Hebrews was getting at when, in addressing the issue of besetting sin, things that are just, there's something that to you is really, really difficult. And I, I, I think a lot of pastors, in fact, struggle with faith at times. I think a lot of pastors struggle with the right kind of self-worth. You know, Paul actually said, well, who doesn't care for a moment, his own self? You know, that, that's, a, that's a natural response to who we are as human beings, the way God's actually created us. And so I think I think all people, you know, as you, and it's, and you're you're dead on right. That distance between those events gets further and further. The time in them gets shorter and shorter. And and the the instantaneous conviction. Remember, the, you know, I was trying to remind people: condemnation is from the enemy, conviction is from the Holy Spirit. It's good. It's really good. Two questions about marriage, and then two questions about Satan versus God. Are you ready? Okay. So this couple, they married as Catholics, but myself and my wife, we were Catholics. I left the Catholic church, became a Christian, now, but my wife continues to go to Catholic church. Does this mean that we are unequally yoked? Well, being unequally yoked surely doesn't have to do with the location of your church, and I'm for sure not going to take the bait about the Catholic church. I, I'm really not a denominational guy, so I'm all about the Bible. So if you're going to a church, Catholic, uh, Baptist, Pentecostal, you know, I think that wherever there's error, where it's not scriptural, that's a problem. And the bigger the errors, the bigger the problem. So I'm not going to say that where this one or that one is worshiping is wrong. I'll just say where the things that they preach and teach are not consistent with Scripture, that is a problem. But I wouldn't describe, if they have faith in Jesus, I wouldn't say that they're not equally yoked, would you? No, it's all about a personal relationship with Christ. And I've said this openly from the pulpit. You know, I've, I've, I have talked with, prayed with, been with. Uh, I was teaching a Bible college class down in Brazil, and I had a local Catholic, actually it was a bishop uh, of the Catholic Church uh, in this town that I was in, uh, that would come and sit in on our on our Bible studies because he wasn't used to systematic teaching of the scriptures and and absolutely loved the Lord and when you talked to him he would absolutely if if there was ever a person that could describe to me their salvation experience he had that 
Uh, he had a moment in time when he believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not trusting the Catholic Church for his salvation. He was trusting Jesus as, as his Savior. And so I think we have to be careful to, to not speak specifically where Scripture doesn't speak specifically. And, it's, it, and again, there is a Roman system uh, of the Catholic Church which has a lot of problems. Let's be really honest about that part and very open about it. There are some things... Uh, you know, the paying of indulgences to that you need to pray through Mary, those yeah. types of things. There, those things are pretty easily discerned. Well, I was hinted at in the question about uh, purgatory a minute ago. Right, yeah. So, so those things are very easy to discern for yourself by simply reading your Bible. But that does not mean that every person that attends the Catholic Church doesn't know the Lord. Have you ever had anyone ask you if the Pope is a Christian? Uh, yes. I, so I get that question yeah, all the time. All the time. Is the Pope yeah. a Christian? I'm like, I, would, I have no idea. But if he believes what the Catholic Church teaches about salvation, he's not no. a Christian. Right. And again, there's, there's the Catholic Church and its official teaching, and there's a personal relationship with Amen. Jesus Christ that Amen. anyone can have, no matter what church they attend. Amen. Isn't it great what the Scripture says, the Lord knows those that are his? Amen. Awesome. The second question about marriage is uh, from a couple. One of them committed adultery, and the spouse is asking, is it now a sin for me to get a divorce? How would you counsel this couple? It's a fantastic question, by the way, and I, I pray that the Lord would heal your marriage. Here, here's the, the, the real crux of this issue. Scripture doesn't differentiate between the sin of adultery and the sin of fornication and the sin of homosexuality or the sin... Uh, any type of sexual sin as far as it having a negative effect. The problem with, with adultery is that it destroys a marriage and that marriage now has been affected by that sin. And so now you have the situation where those vows have been tampered with before the Lord. And because they've been tampered with before the Lord, there's the, the pain of trying to reestablish this marriage vows. And so I always address it this way. Here, here's, here's the real crux issue. Does God still see your marriage vows as valid? And he absolutely does. You took those before God, irregardless of what your spouse has actually done to break those vows. So God's best is always, can the marriage be restored? Can the marriage be um, taken to that place to where God would not only deal with that sin, but even make the marriage better than it was before. Because there's no doubt an underlying problem uh, that, that precipitated probably those events occurring. And, and so you took the vows before God. If you want to honor those vows before God, then please make every effort to save your marriage. Remember that divorce was given... Uh, Moses gave the authority originally for, for divorce. It wasn't God's plan. That was, that was a, in essence, a caveat uh, to mankind because of sin. Jesus echoed that exact same thing. He said, no, 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 wait a second. Um, Moses said that you can divor divorce your wife, but this is what God said. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, I, the Lord, hate divorce. So God's take on divorce is he always hates it, no matter what reason it happens for. And so God's plan always is to heal your marriage. And so work on that first. He hates divorce. He hates broken covenants, but he doesn't hate divorced people. Amen. That's also true. That's good. Um, very, very, very important part of that. Thank you for bringing that up. Because it, it, it's if you are divorced, if you've been divorced, 
God still loves you. It is not the unpardonable sin. You're still going to heaven. Uh, it, it isn't, you know, I've listened to the legalist's argument. Well, you know, she's forever, he's forever an adulterer or an adulteress. And thereby, and then he quoted to usually to, you know, one of those passages I just mentioned, and now you're, you're not going to heaven. Well, so many of the quadrants in the body of Christ, they show their seriousness about sin by fighting against the sinner. But this is what Jesus never did. Jesus was very comfortable in the presence of sinners. He knew the grace of God. He was always reaching out to people. So how do you hold out for God's best in marriage while not punishing the people who have failed or struggled in that way as though somehow that's how I'm going to show I'm serious. I grew up in a church where there was a man whose wife was divorced within a month or two of when she was like 19 years old. And yet 50 years later, he was... They were married and they had been married for 50 years and he was in his 60s and he wasn't allowed to serve in any role in the church because his wife had been divorced when she was 19. It's like we're trying to show people how serious we are about marriage by punishing divorced people. That's a miss. Awesome. Uh, Two quick, I said we were going to talk about Satan, but I wanted to throw these in quickly because um, two of them came in at the same time. Do we have a guardian angel? Do we have guardian angels that uh, are always with us? And where is it in scripture? Well, there is no scripture that says you have a guardian angel. That, that we can say categorically. But we also do know, know that the angels do watch over us, that they've been assigned as attendants uh, to, to mankind. And that's the role that we most commonly find them in in scripture. And so to say that you've been assigned a personal one, probably a stretch to say that they are there and present and helping behind the scenes I think that has some biblical support. So how many angels do you think there are? More angels than uh, people or more people than angels? Uh, I think there's more angels than people. Right, right. And so one-third, you preached a couple of weeks ago on yep. Isaiah 14, one-third of all the angels fell. So there may as, there may as, be as many demonic uh, spirits in the world as there are people, and they're not surrounded playing cards either. I mean, they're, they're, Satan is leading his demonic host in continual attack on the people of God and on the purposes of God. And we are in a spiritual battle. It's as real as real can be. And the angels are given as our attendants and, and protectors. And didn't Satan himself acknowledge this when he said to Jesus that he has given his angels charge over you yep. lest you dash your foot against a stone? Uh, can you imagine the legion of angels that was protecting and helping and ministering to Jesus while he was on earth? And doesn't Hebrews say that... Some of us have even entertained angels without realizing it. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be blown up by the spiritual realm that is all around us all the time and the battle of intense fury that we've been involved in. We live as though it's not happening, but it is. Mm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. Hey, do you know where that verse lives? Yes. I knew you knew. Ephesians 6, I knew you knew. I don't even know why I asked you. Just to tease you. Isn't the scripture wonderful? I get so I get so nervous when one of these wonderful men asks me, do you know where that is in the scriptures? I'm like, uh, uh, no, but it's in there somewhere. It's so. how we feel when you pass us a guitar. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, and just on the angels thing, like I'm reading in First Kings personally, and Elijah is out in the wilderness and running away from Jezebel, and he's exhausted, and he's, and he lays down and he takes a nap. And while he's taking a nap, God sends an angel to make him a nice little big piece of bread and a big jug of water. And then he kicks him on the side and says, wake up and eat. And then he does it again. So like, it's cool to see God is caring for us. And we have no idea, you know, like Pastor James said, 
we're going to get to heaven and be like, wow, you like saved my car from 85 wrecks. Yeah, and, and part well, of that story is there is more with us than with them. Mm, that's good. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about Satan then. Um, somebody's asking, if God is pure and holy and cannot be in the presence of sin, how is it that in Job 1, 6 through 7, that Satan comes and stands before the presence of God during the presentation of all the heavenly host? Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that God can't be in the presence of sin. And 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 uh, I liked what you said a minute ago about the omnis, omniscient, om, omnipresent. omnipresent, and omnipotent. So the idea that God is, again, I think we have some real spatial issues and people get a little, what I would call hyper-literal with the Bible. I don't think it's so much that God is everywhere. That's the language. Again, the Bible is the language of appearance, the language of appearance. It describes things how we experience them, and God is everywhere, irrefutably everywhere. David said, if I go into the heavens, you're there. If I descend the lower parts of the earth, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, even there your right hand upholds me. Yet, the Bible also describes God sitting on a throne and Jesus uh, as exalted and at his right hand. And I think that we're going to find out in heaven that it's going to be like, it's more like you are always in my presence, that we're in God's presence at all yeah. times because this is to make a difference with God. If I were to say you are here, Alex, you're not at your house, well, it's because you can't, you can't affect anything at your house. But difference doesn't, distance doesn't make a difference with God. He can affect everything in every corner of his universe. And so I think when we're talking about God's presence, we have to remember that we are ever and constantly in his presence. Yeah, I'll give you, give you an example of how to refute that fairly easily. Uh, we know that the end of the devil is that he will actually be physically grabbed and chained and thrown into the pit. So uh, not only can God be in his presence, the Lord Jesus himself can actually lay his hands on him and toss him into the pit. So he's going to get awful close at that point in time. Right. And so if we're all in God's, right, exactly. So if we're all in God's presence constantly, God, God is... The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And it says that he observes sin. And, and God is very aware of sin. The Bible teaches that God cannot be tainted by sin. He cannot be yeah. touched by sin. Or he tempted. cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But this idea that there's no sin in God's presence, we, we were talking. I think that comes from a misunderstanding that the reason why we're cleansed by Christ, there'll be no sin in heaven, there'll be no sin in eternity, we'll be back to the Adamic state and like the Garden of Eden. And so that's what we're being saved for. But for right now, God's very aware of the sin in the world. Yeah, and Jesus, of course, being God, was around sinners all the time. So there's, you know, there's a there's a ton of evidence that that's not true. A little word for you, if that's your question. Uh, never, If you want to be right more often than not, never say that God can't do something. <laughs> that's that's not a wise thing not to say. Yeah. Not, a, not a lot of sentences that end well that way. That's a um, great point. God, don't say God can't do something. Um, you had mentioned, Pastor James, that uh, in heaven we are sinless. We will be back to the Adamic state. Now, someone just asked that question, so you, you preemptively prophesied the answer. But there's another question that was asked that in heaven, in the eternal, you know, eternal state, um, how will we not fall back into sin again? What? I'm supposed to answer that? You are, yes. Okay. Um, how will we not fall? Because we're going to be sealed. I was talking. We're going to be sealed. The angels can't sin. 
Once the situation happened in Isaiah 14, then they were sealed. The angels can't sin. They can't fall into sin. And Adam and Eve were created with volition. They chose to sin. And we're going to be in our future state, our ultimate state. 1 Corinthians 13 says, then we will know perfectly even as we are known. And I believe that we'll be in a perfect, sealed, and final state in the new heaven and the new earth. And there'll be no more like round two. Oh, they fell again. There's nothing like that. Yeah, I, I look at I look at that passage in exactly the same way as I look at salvation for a human being. The angels actually chose; they were in this perfected state. In other words, it like the the Lucifer when he falls, he was the the cherub, the exalted cherub of heaven. So he was good in that state, and he chose a different path. So just like we choose to follow Christ being already in sin, having a sin nature, we choose to go the other way. The angels went the opposite direction. All right. Well, we've been at this for quite a while and people's heads are probably feeling like they're going to explode. Um, <laughs> the, the crazy thing is we probably got a hundred more questions texted in tonight. So I'm just going to speak in faith and say, we're probably going to do this again. We're going to do this again. Yeah. yeah this so lots really of great questions. We really know blessed. we didn't get to all of your questions. Um, can we first of all just say thank you to these wonderful, wise pastors here? Um, awesome. Also, if you're watching online, look, this is so important to get these answers to people who are seeking them. You know, people are seeking answers in this time. And so we're going to ask you when this live stream is over, can you take a second and please reshare this episode? If you were helped by it, um, we want people to be more helped by it as well. So please, please do that for us. Um, Pastor Jeff, would you mind uh, ending us in prayer? And we'll, we'll, we'll let you guys know when we're going to do this again, I promise. Yeah, amen. Thank you, James. Thank you, Thank you Alex. Great time. Father, thanks for this time tonight. And, and we know that all wisdom comes from you. And we would pray because your word declares that if we lack wisdom, we would seek it from you and you would give it liberally to all who ask. And so we pray that if there's something that was said tonight and it was not from you, strike it from the memory banks of your people. Pray that you would encourage and strengthen your body. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Your word is the source of these answers. Hopefully this wasn't a time of us sharing our opinions, but it really was speaking forth the truth of what your word declares uh, over your people. Pray that you would use these answers to help people to grow in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray for those that might be watching that do not know you yet, Lord Jesus. Would you, by your spirit, convict and convince of the power of the gospel that you, uh, the, the sinless Lamb of God, the Son of God, came to this earth, died for them on Calvary's cross, paying the price for their sin, and if they would believe in you, and, and offer their life to you for your lordship that they will be saved. And so we pray that you'd reach into the hearts of those uh, tonight that don't know you and even save some, though tonight was not an evangelistic message, Lord, the gospel was preached. And so we pray that you would save some. Bless us, Lord, as we go forth. Fill us with your spirit. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would bring an end to this COVID pandemic God, you can kill this virus, and we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.